young women are so eager to claim their political power. I just spent an entire day yesterday in Sacramento with middle schoolers and high school students and college women from all across the state of California to identify the policies that matter to them and advocate on those policies. Welcome back to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Sarah Guillermo, the CEO of Ignite, the largest young women's political leadership organization in the country. Sarah shares with us her journey from program facilitator to CEO and how she draws constant inspiration from young women across the political landscape. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Sarah, welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you on with us. Thank you for having me today. So let us talk about you. I would love to get to know you a little better and let our listeners know more about you. So let's start with your background and particularly, how did you first become interested in leadership and government? I started running for office in the first grade. My mom has this hilarious story of the third day of kindergarten where I got a note sent home where Sarah's really adjusting well. She's learning how to speak English because I immigrated when I was two and a half years old. So they're a little nervous about that. One of the things she can work on is that she doesn't have to tell everybody how to do everything. (laughs) And so I ran for office for the first time. I wanted to be the classroom organizer. I wanted to make sure all of the colored pencils, that was a job, as you made sure all of the colors were in their particular bin and you put all the paper, you handed everything out. And so I won and I served as that classroom organizer for the entire school year, which made me very excited. And one of the things we got to do is you got to participate with the other grades and you got to plan school-wide activities. And so It was really exciting to sit around with like these humans and I never met them like, oh, I get to hang out with the older kids. And we got to plan these really cool school-wide events and it really launched my career in one leadership and then two, not seeing girls and not seeing people that look like me in those leadership roles. The class was actually called leadership that we took as all of the leaders of the classroom. And I just, I wanted to solve these like big world problems. early on. And so I kept running all through my education and actually now serve on a community board here in my county where we decide where grant money, money is coming from the community through like sales taxes of the houses that are getting sold in the California market right now. And all of that, like, where is that going to serve the community? And so a lot of ways of thinking about who looks like me that are sitting at these tables, who's getting to make these decisions, which is a huge thing about how much I wished Ignite actually existed back in the late 80s, early 90s, because how would that have actually supported that generation of girls and young women to think about policies in the way that we can do now? I love the fact you started so young running for office, as you say. I mean, this is really a part of who you are from a very young age, so that is fantastic. As you were doing this and saying that you weren't seeing a lot of girls like you, who were your role models then? Who did you look to to say, well, I could still do something like that? Well, so I came from the Philippines and I knew what a female president looked like at an early age. And so I was so confused. I remember going into my classroom and being like, 
who are these people? <laughs> like, who's been running this country? Where are the women? And so I feel so blessed to have had a phenomenal mother and a phenomenal grandmother and like seven aunts who really all had their hand in raising me, frankly. And people like that, humans that are there for you at, you know, 2 a.m., 7 p.m., feeding you, nurturing you. I just felt like were really, really huge. And my parents came to America in a wave, like our whole family came in a wave. So understanding what role models look like and like what you had to do to leave your country and to be in a new community, to learn a new language, to find a job, to find a house and like raise a kid. I watched really closely and took a lot of those pieces into where I am as a leader today. And then obviously, I am here in the Bay Area. And so um, Kamala Harris as a DA in San Francisco, and seeing her path to political leadership was something that I've admired ever since I was a young girl. And now seeing her as vice president of this country, I can't put that into a little bottle of how critical that is and how monumental that is for a human like myself who has always aspired for that level of leadership. So tell us about your journey at Ignite. You started the organization as a program facilitator. Now you're the CEO. That is an incredible journey. So talk us through that. How did you get there? And then along the way, what were the roles that enabled you to keep ascending? Before I even came to Ignite, I got a master's in social work and really believed that everybody had the capacity to create change, even if they didn't believe it yet. And so once I graduated, I went over to do some after school programs in San Francisco and then moved on because it was the middle of the Great Recession of 08. I then skipped over to a different job just a year later, which is where I met our founder, Ann Moses. It wasn't even a full C3 yet, but she was starting to like share this idea. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I ran for office. I'm a student leader. I can do that here. And so Ignite was quickly embodied into our after school programs. And we were working with young women, 97% Spanish speaking only. And it was a title one school and it was 99% free reduced lunch. And students were like, I don't know how to change anything in my community, but they could identify everything they wanted to change. They could identify that they didn't want gun violence, that they needed a stop sign, that they needed more healthy food to eat, that they didn't need a reason to not go to school every single day. And so we taught them One, how could you have confidence as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old going into this community where you have actually been told that you don't have the power to do anything? How do you actually have the confidence to, one, build your ambition to have that power? And then, two, how do you actually claim that power? And so we started Ignite at Wilson Prep in East Oakland back in 2010. I had taught there for about six years before I came on full-time with Ignite in 2015, and at that point, the organization was doing a state-by-state model. We were here in California, and then we had done some programming and some work in Texas, and we were starting to pivot the organization into this national model. And so I joke that I've had almost every job at Ignite without the title. (laughs) It's been a really exciting journey, and I stepped into the CEO role just last year. I'm going into month nine, which is both crazy and exciting all at the same time. And I think the journey of being a leader during this time, and I'm not just speaking about the time of being a leader during the pandemic, but also a time when there has been incredible civil unrest and coming after the different policies that have been happening across the country. 
young women are so eager to claim their political power. I just spent an entire day yesterday in Sacramento with middle schoolers and high school students and college women from all across the state of California to identify the policies that matter to them and advocate on those policies. On Sunday morning, literally 24 hours before everything was supposed to get started, we all woke up to the news that there was a mass shooting literally two blocks away from the Capitol. And so part of what we asked ourselves as event organizers is, do we still bring young people from all across the state to this? And sadly enough, as we were having conversations with the school partners, the community partners, a lot of the feedback we actually got were that young women experience this every single day and that shootings happen. And it's so unfortunately part of the norm of their world that It didn't scare them. It didn't scare their parents to send their kids all across the state. And actually, the message of being at the Capitol and being there and continuing to do the work was a much stronger message than not showing up at all. I mean, I love the fact that you were going into communities that might not have felt like they had a voice in some of the things that were impacting them. And you were really enabling them to understand they do have a voice and they have every right to look around and see the things that they needed and needed to get better. Tell us about how that forms the basis for Ignite's mission, you know, at its core and why you put women at the center of that as well. I mean, I think that's so embedded in the values. Like, I think that there's this conversation that is consistent, unfortunately, in the historical narrative of young people, that young people don't care and that young women are apathetic and that why give them responsibility? When I look at the makeup of this organization, 33% of our staff are Gen Z, 33% are millennials. And so when you're thinking about who's actually running the organization, then you think about who is actually getting impacted by the organization. And I think that is huge when you're thinking about the DNA. Like we're not just talking about how we're doing this outside in the external universe. We're talking about how do we do it every single day internally. And that's huge. Like I am trusting young 20 year olds to run our entire social media. And that's one, a lot of faith, but also a lot of training and support because it's not about just getting young women into these positions of leadership and power, but it's also how do we support them and sustain them in that? And I think like my transition from executive director into CEO was a total DNA of Ignite our founder, it was so critical for her to build the pipeline of leadership internally, because that is what we are doing externally. We are building the pipeline of young women who are ready and eager to become the next generation of political leaders. And we're not just talking about like the average type of political leader. We're talking about humans that are thoughtful. We are talking about humans that think really deeply about how their lived experiences are deeply connected to what is happening around them so that we can connect the dots, which is frankly something that we used to do a lot in 2010, 2011, 2012, and not so much anymore. There's a little bit more connecting the dots, but not as many (laughs) that we've had to do as much as in years past. And tell us how women come to find you. You know, you're on college campuses. You have a presence, you know, really across the country. Do women see Ignite and say they might want to be in the political sector and therefore they know to come to you? Or maybe they don't even know, but they're a little intrigued. And so they want to learn more. How does that work? It's so many ways. I mean, I think the first way is by voice. Yesterday, the young women that came were all part of different schools. So there's a way of like, I have a teacher at my school who learned about Ignite and is really excited about it. And so she's going to bring a group of girls to Sacramento 
or you launch a college chapter on your site, on your campus, and you're really excited about policy, maybe something has happened in your life or you don't want to see that ever again, whatever their calling is, is always a little bit different. One of the questions I asked the young woman yesterday is like, what is something you want to change in your community? And it's everything about, I want to feel safe riding the bus. I want to make sure that I have access to clean water. I do not want to pay $100,000 to go to college. I want to make sure that I have affordable housing so that my parents don't have to live paycheck to paycheck to go from house to house to house or not even a house. And so when I'm thinking about all of those different issues, that's what brings people to the table. But there's always like a different layer, right? So maybe it is a teacher. Maybe it is another college student. Maybe it's like a really great Instagram post (laughs) that like really gets somebody catchy. And I think a lot of that is like we take the data and we know that this particular generation of Gen Z, they are like on their phones and that is where they get most of their information. We know that they do not open email (laughs) as much and as often. And so getting to them either via social media, via text message have been some of the other ways that we're learning to communicate with them. And then the last thing I'd say around this is like, what's the message? that they're hearing. So to your point earlier, like, are they even politically active? They probably are, but they just don't know it yet. Everyone here or all across the country, I'm sure you are not immune to this, are like, what the heck is going on with the gas prices? Why are they so expensive when the price of oil is this? And so I think one of the parts that people are connecting the dots on there is like, why does that matter? And then how do we get engaged? You know, listening to you talk, you're almost describing a level of engagement that is a very day-to-day, locally driven, you know, needs for the community. And people might not realize that that is a political thing, that takes political activism, that takes movement and people. I think when we think of politics, we often think about people running for office, big offices, and maybe we mean that too. Maybe you're helping to train people, right, to do that also, but it also just starts with where you are locally. And I love the fact that we can all be trained to think about being activists where we are. Yeah, everyone can play their role. So there are over 500,000 seats across the country that folks can serve in. There's, you know, a couple thousand up top from Congress to state ledge. And there are half a million seats from the mayor to the mosquito abatement board. When we're thinking about who we're training and what we're training them for, we're thinking about those half a million seats. We're thinking about the mosquito abatement board. I met a young woman in Texas back in like 2014 when we kicked off, Carla Garcia, and she had put together a policy proposal that she worked on in our Ignite class. She put it in front of her school board and they were like, this is cool and all, you know, but it's not going to happen. It was around sex education because of the huge rates of teenagers getting pregnant in Dallas. And she was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to go to college. She went to college. She comes back. She ran her campaign. She won at the age of like 23 years old. The youngest woman, youngest Latina to ever serve in the largest school district in the state of Texas. And Carla walked into this role at the start of the pandemic. So not only did Carla have to figure out what the heck they were teaching in the classroom, they needed to figure out how they were going to get kids virtual, 
what they were going to do with teachers, how they were going to even think about this. And then now as she's closing up her first term, they've had to think about how the students are ever going to go back to school, how they're going to bargain with all of these teacher unions to actually be able to like have a whole new policy of return to school. And then what do you do with families that are still nervous about sending their students back to school? And so imagine if we could have a Carla on every school board across this country, what would that mean for students, number one? What would that mean in terms of the policies that we're putting in place? And then what would that mean for this entire generation to actually see themselves in Carla and then be the next person? We need these young women, we need Gen Z young women to continue to stay on the gas and we need people like us to continue to support them so that we can, one, get out of the way so that they can do their brilliance. Well, I love that story about Carla. I will definitely be thinking about her for a long time. How are you measuring success of Ignite? You know, what in your mind constitutes the organization reaching its goals? And, you know, whether that's something concrete, like women actually in office, or do you also measure sentiment and just people who are active? Both. We do measurement and evaluation and comparative studies. A couple like really exciting numbers that we have is we've trained 20,000 plus young women. And so we're adding on to in this particular programmatic year. And if there's anything to say about my day yesterday in Sacramento, lots of excitement (laughs) with these young women starting at 12 years old. They woke up at 4 a.m. to get on a plane to go to the Capitol for the very first time in their lives. You know, as we were walking away for them to get back on their bus, I got on the train. They're like, wow, I never thought I could like be in the Capitol and I could meet a legislator and advocate for a bill. And so like when you ask about the sentiment part, like we're collecting a lot of that qualitative data as well, because when you're thinking about how many young women do you take to the Capitol, how many young women do you take in a training, it's also really important to understand the different layers of political leadership. So for the first decade of Ignite, we were hyper-focused on runs for office. That was the number one thing. A lot of our programming led to that. A lot of our messaging led to that. It was all political leadership to us was just just running for office. And what we discovered from the 2016 and the 2018 election is that young women were really joining other forces. They were joining campaigns. They were getting on commissions at the most local level. They were mobilizing voters. And then they were policymakers. And what we discovered is that all of those roles paired with candidates and electeds, if we could flood the pipeline in all of those five roles, imagine what it could be in terms of thinking about political leadership across the board. So if we had all of these young women that now yesterday are now policymakers because they understand how a bill becomes law, if they can understand that at 12 years old, 13, 18, even 22, imagine what they're going to be able to do at 30, 35. And so whether they're going to run for office and change the game that way, or they're going to be a policy person and change and write a piece of legislation, or they're going to be on a community board and reallocate resources to think about it differently or be this voter mobilizer and like get people to the polls and be like, we cannot have this happening in our community. And I think like the key thing that I'm seeing from this particular generation of Gen Z is like, I can't look away and I don't want them to. 
love so many things you said. I love the expansiveness of really thinking about politics. It's not just running for office or the big seats, but really thinking about what you could do along all the policy dimensions and really having young women and girls see themselves doing so many different jobs. The other thing I want to touch upon is that Ignite really emphasizes that it's nonpartisan. And I think that's really important. And I want listeners to know that you serve women who are going out there to work on all sides of the aisle. Why do you think that's important in our polarized world? I mean, one, it's a numbers game. When you think about the population, women are 52% of the population in America and represent, you know, a quarter of government. That's a huge issue. That's one part. We all know that this is not a one-party solution. The Dems aren't going to solve this. The men on legislators are going to have to, like, find women that are going to be able to fill their seats eventually. And so I think that's a really huge part. When I think about Ignite, when I started as a facilitator, one of the things that we created was a civil discourse document. And this was outlining like one, what does nonpartisan even mean? So for us as a C3, we don't endorse candidates. We don't endorse policies. We don't endorse anything particular to a party, but we do legislative advocacy. And so that is a part that we one, train all of our staff on. I'm not saying that it is always like 100% in total understandings. Being nonpartisan isn't like, stagnant because <laughs> we live in this very political ecosystem. So we're constantly like one, having to remind and then two, giving people examples. And there are plenty of real life examples that are popping up in front of our faces every single day where we're thinking about what's the messaging on this? What does that sound like? And then for our young people that lean any particular way, like the push and pull there is like, what space are you creating within the campus community that you are trying to build? And so one, if your leadership team is leaning a specific way, and we actually have both an interview questions and even in activities that we write, I remember like there's like a Sophia, the socialist that helps people understand one, the nonpartisan lens of it, but then two, how do you actually have civil discourse? And a lot of that, you know, unfortunately we're not seeing at a federal level. And so we have to be able to see at the local level. And so sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. And so what we're doing as an organization is working with our young women and helping them build their muscle and the tools to consistently respond to that. So how can people get involved in Ignite? You know, what are the ways they can either support you directly or just have access to some of the resources? You know, for every single layer of the audience, if there are parents that are listening today, we have different toolkits that you can download on our website, www.ignitenational.org, where you can literally get resources to start to talk about social issues and to start to talk about running for office or ambition with your kiddos. I have a three-year-old. One word he understands is ambition. And so we talk a lot about that. He doesn't understand political leadership yet or leadership, but he does understand ambition. And we also have a lot of tools for educators, for the educators that are listening, where you can actually bring Ignite to your school community, whether it is a chapter or actually just getting access to our curriculum so you can embed it into your classroom already. And then if you're a student on a college campus, we have a college chapter toolkit that you can download that literally gives you all of the different resources that you need to launch a college chapter on your site. And then if you are not in formal education, 
We have community councils all across the country that you can tap into both virtually and some are starting to happen in person where folks can come and get training on a whole sort of different layers around political leadership that we talked about, or just to meet some really cool political leaders within their community. So we're starting live conferences in person really, really soon. And so if you are in LA, New York, Texas, or in DC, we'd love to see you there. You can go to our events page also on ignitenational.org. So I was reading a recent blog post on Ignite that talked about the fact that the U.S. ranks 72nd in the world when it comes to women's representation in politics, and this was rated 91 in 2020. What do you think the existing barriers are that prevent women, more women, from entering our political sector? And what can we do about that right now? I mean, I think there's a lot of intersectional issues that folks face just to run. And so I think one of it is like actually expanding the term of political leadership so we can think about all of those different positions. Because when I think about campaign operatives, they're the ones that are actually saying like, you can be a viable candidate. And I think that's really critical. If you don't have those people in the community, then like a human like me can never be a viable candidate, right? Because they don't even know who I am. I'm just thinking about the barriers that folks are facing. You know, a lot of the research says that you have to ask women 8, 10, 11 some days to actually run for office. And like when I'm thinking about having to get the food on the table, thinking about the bills I have to pay, how do I manage my career? How do I manage getting my toddler (laughs) from preschool or when preschool is not happening? How do I get him to where he needs to go? There's a lot of different questions that women have to ask themselves to be able to do this. And then let's just be honest, run for office wasn't created for women to be running. And so when you think about campaign finance laws that have been created, just to use that for even childcare purposes, that's been huge over the past year in particular. And so I think that there's a lot of those different barriers. And then I think people just sometimes don't know what the positions are. I'm talking about particularly the young women that we're working with. That is part of the knowledge, the civic knowledge that we are trying to impart on them is they don't know that there is this mosquito abatement board position or town council is probably a $10,000 race and they don't have to raise a million dollars to run for their particular seat. And so to be able to do that, I think at a really young age, that's going to support them in their next race. And then obviously they have the Ignite Network that will continue to support them as they discover what their next step is. When I think about some of those barriers, I mean, I think you're so right. Women don't get tapped as often to run because they're probably not visible. And then they have to probably be asked many times to go run. I'm thinking of some friends of mine who ran for local office and they were pretty reluctant to do it because it is very hard to do, not only the fundraising, but just the public scrutiny and what you have to put yourself out there for. You know, how do you get people comfortable with that? How do you really turn some of that doubt into fire that makes them want to go for it? The doubt's real. I mean, we can't undermine it. There's people that exist that are just always going to be against something. And that part is like shifting hearts and minds. And like, I think about our current legislative advocacy director who ran her first election during the midterms of 18. And she, it was a very right leaning district and she is not, and she's a dem. And she went to every single door, no matter where they fit in the voter profile. And because she ran such a local race and she won 
I think when you're thinking about who you're talking to and how you're talking to them, it's about the human. And so I feel like the more we can humanize the experience of political leadership, the more that people can meet the individual. I used to play this game with the young women and we would stand in a circle, go around and the activity was called, I'm an expert in. First round, it would be like, you know, I'm an expert in like TikTok. I'm an expert in how to like do my eyebrows. And then it would start to get, you know, round four, round five, you played like 10 rounds, you started to get deeper and deeper. And you'd get to the part of I'm an expert in translating documents for my parents because they don't speak English to I'm an expert in understanding how to get from point A to point B because I'm blind. That activity was so critical for me because these young women like couldn't see that they were already an expert in something. And when you think about that, and you think about policy reform, and you think about political leadership, the confidence that they need to actually believe that they're supposed to be there because they have value, you can't put a price tag on that. And so that's one of my biggest pieces of advice is I believe in you, so I need you to believe in yourself. And so the activity of I'm an expert in helps to start to generate that because it's not like me as a facilitator, I'm helping these young women create this environment where they can say these things out loud. I have to model it myself, obviously. But then if they start to see that in a group of 10, in a group of 100, in a group of, you know, insert X number, then they can start to one, normalize that they have these feelings and that they are real and that they're celebrated. But I also understand that simultaneously to doing that work, you also have to get communities to like want to participate in our democracy. And I think we've had way too many examples. I mean, in my lifetime, I'm sure in all of our lifetimes, where we've told to doubt, where we've been told that, "Eh, I don't know if my vote really counted in that election, or like those kinds of mentality. And I think a lot of what I've learned in policy and political leadership and campaign work prior to my work at Ignite is you just have to be consistent as change, unfortunately, doesn't happen overnight and you have to keep pushing for it, whatever role you want to play. And we can all tap in and out of our roles throughout a generation, but we're going to need all of us in order to move this movement forward. And that is really the critical need to support this particular generation of Gen Z young women, because I think from the research that we've done, we've learned that they are the most diverse. They are literally the most politically active generation in, you know, between, oh, and 2012. And I'm just thinking about what they need to be able to continue to sustain the tenacity that they currently feel because doubt is one thing. If they can silence that a little bit, because I don't know if we can always get rid of it. I'd like to. My social scientist side of my brain is like, I don't know. If we can silence it a little bit more and be louder with the ambition building and the network of humans to support young women, I wonder if we can silence it long enough that we could get more young women into the field. But once you oversaturate each of those political leadership roles, then I think we can start to see a tide turn and one that we can actually sustain for a lifetime. So Sarah, I wanted our audience to know that Women on the Move and Ignite have formal partnership. We've been working together for several years now to provide financial literacy content to Ignite members. And I'm really excited that this year we'll finally be back in person at some of your conferences to do that together. So I'm curious from your perspective, why did Ignite think it was important to partner with us on the topic of financial education? 
Thank you, Sam. We're so grateful for the partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase and Women on the Move. It's been some of my favorite content, actually, in the past couple of years. I know when we started, we were really thinking about our young women who are running for office. And as candidates, they're so scared about talking about money. And we needed to get past that fear for them to actually start to ask for money. And so I think once that started to happen, we then got the content and started to open it up to different audiences. And a lot of the work we did virtually during the pandemic was so huge because we did a whole session on what to do with your stimulus checks and how to either invest them, pay down debt. And I remember young women really just starting to like build that muscle. And I know for a lot of our young women who are supporting their families in just creating financial plans, one young woman actually helped to buy her parents their first home. And that was such a huge piece. And she's in her mid 20s. And they had no idea how to one save for a mortgage, save for a down payment, and like even understand that with the skills that she gained from the workshops that she attended during literally the pandemic, because I think we ran it a couple of times, she was able to use that skill set, do it for herself, do it for her family, and then actually buy the house. That is great. Those are the kind of stories, you know, that really we welcome all the time. And from our end, you know, it was so important for us to make sure that women, no matter what they wanted to go into over time as a career, that they had that kind of education to help make those good savings and budgeting. So it's really heartwarming to hear those stories. I also want to acknowledge and congratulate you and Ignite for the fact that in 2021, you won Pivotal Ventures Equality Can't Wait Challenge. You are one of several winners. And you had a major grant, a $4 million grant to really help you with future programming. So first of all, congratulations on that. I think that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. We were an Equality Can't Wait Challenge awardee. So grateful to the Schustermans and Mackenzie Scott and Pivotal to grant us that money. I mean, as an incoming CEO, it's huge to be able to have that kind of financial backing. And it's a huge testament to just what we've been able to do in the first 10 years of our time as an organization, really going from proof of concept to executing. And now we're in a scaling model with this particular funding. It has really helped us to one, open doors to new funders and also give us the financial capital that we need to expand the work that we want to do across the country. And so we will train um, hundreds of thousands of young women. And then we're also expanding our work in terms of building on and accelerating the existing culture shift that is happening. So as these young women become political leaders, they feel like they are supported within their communities and can actually thrive. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being with us on this podcast. Your energy, your leadership, everything you're doing for young women out there is just so tremendous. We really admire what it is you're doing. And as part of Women on the Move here, we are just so glad to be a partner with Ignite so that we can bring more information also out to young women. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And we are really grateful for the partnership with JP Morgan Chase and Women on the Move. And I feel like everyone, hopefully from this podcast too, can hear that you all have a role in playing our part and participating in our democracy. No one is immune to this. And so I'm hopeful that all of us, it's going to take all of us to move this forward. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Sarah Guillermo. 
The way she builds confidence in young women by uncovering their expertise is such a good reminder that we all have something to contribute. Ignite has trained more than 20,000 young women, and I'm so grateful to work with an organization that has such deep impact. I especially love her guidance to women that they're able to drive change in their community at so many different levels. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.